Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. I received an email from a listener named Linda, and she saw me interviewed on TV on ABC 13, and she wrote, In the interview, you mentioned you work every day with your wishing machines. Would you please elaborate on your daily ritual? Linda. So, sure, I'll be happy to tell you a bit more about what I do on a daily basis, and this may or may not be helpful to you if you're a wishing machine user or you're at least interested in the subject. Um, For one thing, let me tell you a little bit about the way I view how a wishing machine is normally meant to be used. Um... I was talking to Vrilock the other day and using this same kind of an analogy. So let's say you want to get from wherever you are to Kalamazoo. And this can represent you achieving any goal in your life, reaching any destination. But again, let's look at this as literally you get in your car and you want to get from where you are to Kalamazoo. Now, obviously, best case scenario is to have somebody sitting next to you who knows how to get there, who can tell you, you know, what to do and has experience. But let's say you're on your own and you don't have that. Well, there are really only about four possibilities uh, in terms of helping you get there. Number one is, well, you can get in your car and say, I have no idea how to get there, but I'm just going to drive. And I will eventually figure out how to get there and well maybe you will I don't know how long it's going to take you Um, it might be more trouble than it's worth you might get distracted along the way Uh, you might not make it but maybe you will but you know that's that's one way of doing it and I think that's how a lot of people live their lives if people uh, even have an idea of where they want to go they still don't know how to get there, so they just kind of drive around hoping that they'll get there somehow. So that's one method. The second method is to have at least a little bit more orientation, so you know something basic like north, south, east, west. You know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and so on, and so you know where you're going is generally north of you or south of you or whatever, and so that is helpful. And so as you're driving along, again, you may not necessarily know the route, but at least you can look at the road signs and say, well, this is supposed to be heading west and this is east. And so, you know, again, it's not a very efficient way of doing it, but, you know, it's probably better than the first method. The third method is, well, you have a map. You actually have a big old piece of paper there that's got all the routes and everything, And now you have a very specific idea of how to get from A to B in a more refined way. However, in order for you to read the map, you know, you're going to have to take your eyes off the road once in a while and and refer to the map. So in some cases, that might even mean you have to pull over on the side of the road and study that map. And then you still are not exactly sure how the reality is going to manifest because there could be road construction detours I mean you know who knows Uh, there are all these things that sort of happen immediately that 
you're not going to find on a map. But that that is the third method. Now, the fourth method, which is the one that I like, this is my favorite method. This is having the GPS there, okay? So this could be a GPS machine, or it could be basically uh, something on your cell phone, like Google Maps that duplicates this, where you plug in where you want to go, and a nice voice comes on and says, in one half a mile, take a left. Okay, and 600 feet, take a right. And it's telling you where to go. The whole thing is automated. Now, it might not be 100% accurate, but it's better than any of the other methods. And it can give you, in some cases, up to the minute updates if there is a traffic accident or a roadblock or construction or whatever. That's the lazy way to go, and I like the lazy way. So, to me, the best way to travel is to travel with the GPS telling you where to go. Now, I understand you get dependent on that. Well, you're screwed if you don't have it all of a sudden, and you have to fall back on other methods of navigation. That's the way it is anytime there's an advancement with convenience and technology. But still, what we're talking about here is the automated process of giving you directions. Well... I believe that wishing machines are the GPS units of manifestation. So they are really designed primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, for you to take an intention that you have, put it into the machine, tune the machine properly, and then you can go about your day and figure out what you're going to have for dinner and what movie you're going to see that night or you know whatever you're up to. And that machine is sitting there continuing to project your desire on your behalf. Uh, the, the process of tuning the machine is really about putting your consciousness and your intention into the machine. And then when you turn your attention away, it's still sitting there acting as an observer on your behalf. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot with Dr. Mulder, for example, about quantum physics and the double slit experiment and the idea that, well, uh, matter uh, behaves in a certain way based upon how it's being observed. You know, does something like a, a photon or some other type of particle behave as a wave um, or, or a particle? You know, it, well, it depends on how you view it. So, what you're doing is you're taking a piece of your consciousness and you're putting it into the machine uh, so that machine again is sort of working for you now again this is totally hypothetical theoretical call it what you will I don't know this for certain this is all still a big mystery but that's at least sort of how I view how these machines work and what they're designed to do so that said I have about an average of 10 machines working for me every single day. Now, the reason is a machine, a wishing machine, is designed to deal with one wish at a time. So, basically, you put your your thought, your intention into the machine, you tune it, and then you set it aside. And then, it again, it sits there and it works on that one thing. You don't want to clutter it up 
with a bunch of different mixed signals. But in my case, you know, I, I mentioned in a recent podcast, I'm working on 14 major projects right now. Some of them deal with TV, some deal with radio, some deal with live events, some deal with research, some deal with, you know, experiments that I'm doing, some deal with personal issues that, you know, I mean, so, um, yeah, that that's nothing, by the way, compared to people like Dr. Mulder. You may or may not have seen some of the pictures of his laboratory. I, I ought to repost some of these on uh, Twitter because I was also uh, showing these the other day to Vrilok. But, you know, Dr. Mulder has, just for his own personal purposes, I would say, uh, certainly dozens, perhaps over 100 machines working every day and he is working on some crazy stuff like plugging them into certain parts of the world map and trying to manipulate world events and stuff like that so you know for me you know usually about you know 10 about does it and so but the 10 wishing machines that i have um and again that's on average i I have a little more or a little less and the reason i say that is that uh, there are times where i'll take a machine and I'm done with it for now, so I'll hand it to my wife, Lauren, and I will say, now you can use it. Now, uh, you're better off if you never share your machine with anybody else unless you're really, really, really close to that person, and we are really close. We've been together for around 21 years, and so um, I never suggest ever that two people try to use the same machine at one time i think that just won't it won't work for anybody but i do believe if you have somebody who's really close to you you can get done with your wish and then hand it off to them and let them work on it for a wish so anyway point being of the 10 machines that i more or less on average have working for me at any given time here is my daily ritual the first thing is i have one machine that I devote to my personal well-being. And you probably heard me say this before, I am not a physician, and so therefore I do not give any advice when it comes to health or medical stuff. Uh, For one thing, I'm not qualified to do it, and secondly, it would be illegal for me to do it because, again, I don't have, you know, I'm not a physician. But I do have a machine that I keep in my bathroom my primary bathroom that's sort of devoted to me like you know obviously uh, i have my bathroom lauren has her bathroom and that's great because when we're in a hurry uh, we can both get ready at the same time in my bathroom i have a machine one of dr Mulder's that i keep and that is my well-being machine so every single day i take a moment and i look at this machine and i just project i mentally project an image of myself uh, looking as healthy and fit as possible onto the input plate and then i see it on the output plate and then i reach down and i twist every single knob i turn the knobs and this is using what I call the intuitive method. So if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, I've said before, you can go to wishingmachineproject.com and click the red uh, FAQs there, and you'll learn more about that. So every single day, I, I adjust these knobs. I project myself, you know, just being a, a, a good, happy, healthy, successful guy, 
and then I reach down and I turn those knobs based upon where I feel they need to be intuitively. Now the reason I do that is because every single day is a new experience. It's, you know, like the old story, I don't know if it came from, I guess it was a Greco-Roman story, you know, you can never step in the same river twice because every variable of life is constantly changing. So every single day, I think it's nice to have a machine there that you sort of tweak to whatever's happening that day. So that's the first thing. I have a machine devoted just for that, Um, just to that. So, okay, so of the others, the other nine, about half of them are devoted to what I consider medium-range projects, and then the other half are devoted to long-term projects. So of the half that are devoted to medium-range, medium-range for me would be trying to influence something that's going to happen over the coming days or weeks. So a good example of this would be weather. Like, you know, all of a sudden something pops up and I want to go do something on a certain day, but the weather looks like crap. That would be where I would go to one of these machines and then I would set that machine. I would tune it for manipulating the weather on that day. Or, you know, I get opportunities on a daily basis to be interviewed for TV shows or or, or radio shows or go off and do a live engagement, and sometimes it's at the last minute. So those are things that I might jump on there and adjust um, at the last minute, you know, because I have something in three days that's going to happen. So, again, about half of my machines that are left... uh, after the daily machine is it, it, they're, they're sort of in a, in a fluid a liquid area you know you, you talk about liquid cash for example think of this as you know li- liquid machines that you use whenever something comes up but then the rest of them are used for long-term projects and so these are things that you're working toward in your life that might take months or years to achieve and the uh, you know the 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 sky's the limit the goal is the moon the stars i mean i have one that's working on the revelation of extraterrestrial phenomena uh aliens and stuff like that uh, I, I as you may recall i'm working on building a uh, facility here in las vegas that's going to take me years to create and so i have one you know working on that uh, if I'm going to write a book and maybe it's going to take me six months, perhaps a year, maybe two years. I mean, you never know when it comes to a book. Um, I'll put a, a machine on that book project. And so this shows you why that you're wise to have many, many different machines. Because again, you only use one machine at one time for one wish. So, on a daily basis, when it comes to my wishing machines, again, just to recap, I have that one that I tweak every single day, which is the one that's most, I guess, reactive to what's happening in the world that day. Then I got my medium range stuff that I'm dealing with that kind of pops up on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever. And then I've got my long-term stuff. So if you're serious about using this technology, you might want to consider what I'm telling you 
and uh, have for yourself the same kind of um, you know triforce uh, that, that that's set up there. So I think that's all I can tell you about, and you know, and I, I don't want to get too specific because sometimes you you just you know you you shouldn't tell people what you're wishing for because if you do that, then uh, I mean it's fine to do it after you've got the wish fulfilled, but if you do it beforehand. All you're doing is tossing your wish out there for other people to tear apart. And so if I tell you, you know, I'm wishing to win a Nobel Prize or whatever, and you say, that's never going to happen. Are you insane? Well, instantly, that negative feedback is going to work against my wish. So in many cases, you're better off to sort of keep your wish to yourself until it's been fulfilled and then you can tell people about it and then you should tell people about it because there is this old premise and magical thinking that if you you use magical thinking and obtain or achieve something but then do not acknowledge what you did everything will be taken away from you so you know there's no problem here you just have to use this kind of manifestation technique and then share it with others and that's what it's about it's about helping other people it's like the fellow who won the $581,000 using the wishing machine the first thing I did was I wrote him back and I said well that's wonderful congratulations now be sure to tell other people about this so that they can be helped as well that is the important part when you find something that works for you don't get all greedy about it and you know try to uh you know shovel it all into your cave like um you know uh my precious there Gollum or whatever from lord of the rings i mean no i mean you're you're supposed to take something and say i've been blessed this has worked for me and so now the least i can do is pass this along and tell other people about it so we can help them as well because trust me there are plenty of resources in this universe to go around for everybody and help everybody so that is your responsibility when something good happens to you you should turn around and educate others about it and help them as well so this is the season right here it is coming up on uh, Christmas about a week away And this is the time when we are supposed to remind ourselves and each other what's important. Uh, To be in that spirit of generosity, of understanding, of forgiveness, of charity. That's what this is all about. And it sure is easy to get distracted and to have your attention turn into a negative arena the rest of the year but at least for the love of god at least take this one time every year and think about this thing that is important to civilization and that's why you know a christmas carol the greatest ghost story ever written is so significant because it's the most obvious succinct parable to sort of demonstrate for you uh, how and why uh, you should think about you know this this time of year and 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 really try to open up your heart and and be warm and imagine being 
warm to even people that you hate. I mean, think about that. It's easy to be warm to people that you like. But think about this concept of being warm toward the people you don't like. That's the most important thing. Uh, Forgiving. I mean, that's an important thing. And it's not easy to forgive something that you really hate, you know, or something that really hurt you or something you really disagree with. But that's the whole point. You're supposed to do that. And if you do that, what's funny is that you're actually doing it for yourself. And you have to consider that whatever other people are going through, that's between them and the universe and their own sense of karma. And listen, I really do believe in karma. And I believe in karma because of my background in science. Um, which, you know, I, I guess we could get into the, 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 the questionable aspect of that. But I think everybody pretty much seems to agree from what we are able to detect here. For every action, there's an opposite but equal reaction. And you might think, well, that doesn't apply to this or that. But as far as I can measure, it does. So, this time of year, when we are all really supposed to be thinking about what it is to be a positive person, a good manifester, um, it's fitting that George Norrie, host of Coast to Coast AM, Tom Danheiser, they are always trying to give back you know to the community to the listeners and they contacted me several years ago saying that they wanted to produce an album uh, a holiday album that would come out here in december called holiday magic coast style and it would have various regular popular coast to coast am personalities singing songs or reading poems or maybe just performing music i mean you know they didn't know exactly how they were going to handle this but you know it was a very novel concept and so they contacted me uh tom danheiser there you know he's uh george norrie's closest producer there and tom danheiser contacted me and he said well uh do you want to sing a song for this album, this, you know, holiday Coast to Coast AM album that we're going to give, uh, we're going to give a lot of the money to charity and all that. And I said, well, look, uh, I really am not a, a good enough singer to do that, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm actually an okay composer, but, um, look, I, I gotta be realistic. I know I have a pretty good speaking voice. I mean, you're listening to me right now and, uh, everything seems to be okay, but, uh, you know, I have a limited singing range. I've only sang karaoke once in my entire life, and that was in Puerto Rico at a bar that's been out of business that was only in business for like three weeks, and I guarantee you that you will, no, there's no record of that out there. So, look, my singing voice is not awful, but it's not good enough to put on an album. So... I said, however, you know, I uh, I am good at playing the theremin, which is a very weird instrument. You know, it's the only instrument that you can play without physical contact. You wave your hands around it, and it's an electronic thing, and it makes this sound like... So I said, how about I, uh, I compose a song 
or I play a song, not compose, but, you know, let me let me just play some kind of traditional Christmas song on the theremin. And so Tom says, okay, fine. So I played the little drummer boy on the theremin. The problem is I was in Puerto Rico at this time in a remote area of Puerto Rico. I did not have any kind of a studio at my disposal. I was literally sitting in the kitchen. It was like the most messed up situation you can imagine where I'm sitting there with a theremin and I I had a crappy guitar and I played this version of the Little Drummer Boy which as as it turns out is like the saddest version of the Little Drummer Boy you've ever heard in your life and I sent it to Tom and not surprisingly you know he he was really nice but he was kind of like yeah I don't I don't think this is going to work for us because it was that shitty and uh, but I have grown to love that this version of it, and so this week I'm going to play it for you in my podcast, but not today, because the reason I bring this up is I said, well, let's see if I can do a poem for you then, and he says, great. So I composed a poem, and the poem is called The Christmas Puppy. I think that's what it's called, yeah, The Christmas Puppy. Now, you might ask yourself, why would I write something called The Christmas Puppy? Well, it is because of my wife, Lauren. Now, look, I, my whole life, have lived with dogs, grown up with dogs. I produced an event called Puppy Fest. But my wife, Lauren, is not just a fan of dogs she is a dog aficionado i mean she's actually literally a dog expert she's never done anything professionally with dogs but she can tell you everything you want to know about dogs and so i've always been trying to impress her you know by doing some little doggy thing and so As a matter of fact, I wrote a poem for her some years ago called What Do Puppies Dream? And I think it's one of my better poems. And after I wrote it, uh, she actually went out onto the internet and found pictures that we could match up with the poem. And I even created a website, believe it or not, called whatdopuppiesdream.com. And I swear this, I'm not making a penny off of this. If you want to see this poem that I wrote for Lauren and, you know, see the pictures and read the words, go to whatdopuppiesdream.com and, uh, and enjoy that. And what you'll find is that, interestingly enough, even though I wrote the poem, I did not credit it to my own name. Um, and I, I came up with a pseudonym, which is kind of a combination of our names, because her name, uh, well, her maiden name was Lauren Lurie Munson. And so now her name is Lauren Lurie Warren. And my name is Joshua P. Warren. And so I came up with this name, L.J. Lurie which is kind of a combo of our names. Now, the main reason I did that is because I don't want to ruin my tough guy, badass image here 
by writing and publishing some kind of sappy puppy poem, you know? I got to keep my, uh, you know, my hardcore reputation intact here. So I was not going to put my name on a puppy thing like, you know, that th- th- that's this sweet and sappy. And you'll see when you read it, you're like, oh my God, I, you're going to be in love with me knowing that I wrote this thing about these puppies. But anyway, so if you go to whatdopuppiesdream.com, yeah, you can enjoy that, and you should probably send it to anybody that you know. Send that website address to anybody you know who likes puppies, because you just click the pictures, and every time you click a picture, it takes you to the next, you know, the next part of the poem with the next picture. So anyway, I figure, well, look, I gotta write a poem. I gotta write a poem here for Coast to Coast AM for this holiday album, and uh, puppies are a safe bet. So I'm going to write this thing called The Christmas Puppy. And so I recorded it with some music behind it. And I sent it to them. And they said, oh, this is fantastic. But we don't have the rights to that piece of music. So we're going to put this other piece of music behind it. So anyway, I I forget what kind of piece of music that they put behind it for legal purposes. But I'm going to play for you right now. The, the Christmas puppy as I intended it to be heard. So I'm going to read you this poem, and you're going to hear the music that I wanted there to be behind it. You're going to appreciate this. I, I forget how long it lasts. It's only a few minutes. But um, this is um, <clears throat> this is going to be for you uh, the experience that I intended for you to have listening to this poem. So... Before I play this poem for you, read in my own, you know by my own voice uh, with music behind it, I want to clarify for you: this podcast, you know, is called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. I try to do one every single day, so it's completely independent. If you go to joshuapwarren.com, there's no period after the P. You'll find a lot of cool stuff there. There's a curiosity shop. There's plenty of stuff for you to enjoy and dig into. But if you click the link to this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily, then um, you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for staying curious. I'll talk to you again tomorrow because I want to tell you what's happening with the roulette wheel experiment. But for now, I'm going to end this podcast with The Christmas Puppy. Enjoy. The Christmas Puppy by Joshua P. Warren I grew up near Asheville where the mountains part the way between the flattest Piedmont and where the snow caps lay. And what I'm about to tell you is the saddest thing I've seen. It's true, this tale of wonder upon one Christmas Eve. You see, it was tradition in our sleepy southern town to venture out and carol as the snow fell on the ground. See, we would drag a sleigh behind, complete with bells and toys, and dish out smiles and warmth and joy to little girls and boys. For fifty years our family had made our joyous trips. But in the winter, ninety-three, 
we brought one special gift. My mother brought a puppy, a little one named Scruff. His mother died of oldness, and he was her last pup. A mutt, he loved the snow more than any dog I'd seen. He'd prance around and lick it up, a snow dog's winter dream. But on that frosty afternoon, as we trudged on our way, we happened on a tragic sight, a halt to all the play. Lying by the pathway was a gray and lifeless lump. It was another puppy, a dead and solid clump. My mother squatted down as tears welled in her eyes and pulled the frigid body from the ice glued at the sides. Scruff ran up and sniffed it. His spirit full of glum, he had a grimace on his face. He knew the end had come. My mother put the little dog back down upon the snow, and Scruff stepped over to the pup, his head hung sad and low. The air was cold and quiet as Scruff stood by the pup, and then his paws close by it. He lowered, then looked up. We watched our little dog crawl up and rest upon the corpse and sigh as if his own breath labored with remorse. It was the saddest thing that we had ever seen, our little puppy resting on this form so pale and lean. And then what happened next brings shivers to me now. To our complete astonishment, the dead one squinched its brow. And as our scruff pawed deeper, and with the warmest smile, the gray form underneath him began to roll and rile. With smiles beaming through the tears, my mother scooped it up, the little gray mass quivering, a newly reborn pup. We raced back to the house and warmed the little one, and slowly it awakened more, shining like the sun. It was a miracle, more than we could conceive, and so we thought it fitting to name her Christmas Eve. And with much time, she grew and grew a strong and husky mate, a member of our family. Her love for us was fate. She always wagged her bushy tail and spread her silly smile, and children and adults were ever touched by her beguile. Amazingly, the most important thing for you to know is that our precious doggie now loves the winter snow. And for the years thereafter, the children squilled with joy each time we went to caroling with chocolate and toys, and that's because the sleigh now slides more easily through the flakes. Our doggies pull the treats around the glens and hills and lakes. They hear the bells a-ringing, and in Santa they believe. But they know the gifts we're bringing are from Scruffy and from Eve. Merry Christmas, everyone.